Did you even know that step-parent burnout is a thing? Yes, ma'am. That means there are so many others feeling exactly what you're feeling, they even gave it a name. And there's also a way back. I know, because I was there once, and I'm not anymore. So stick around, and I'll tell you what I did that changed everything for me. What do you know about burnout already? If you're a woman in the corporate world or a self-employed entrepreneur, you might have some first-hand experience of burnout related to your work life. If you've ever set yourself a goal of running a marathon or competing in a triathlon, it's possible you came up against a wall of exhaustion at some point where you just didn't think you could get back the energy or the enthusiasm to stick with the training. Burnout happens to people who are used to achieving. Highly motivated people who work hard and don't give up. People who are used to being the masters of their world in some way, maintaining control and making things happen. Burning out is not the same as giving up. People who burn out keep going long after others would have given up, or at least weighed the pros and cons of continuing to do something that wasn't yielding the desired result or wasn't giving back in proportion to what you were putting into it. You burn out when you tell yourself the story that you can do something superhuman and you can do it by yourself. Hey, I know perfectly well that people do superhuman things all the time, but some of us don't notice that those people have, well, help. They have supporters, mentors, coaches, nannies or mothers who watch their kids. They have personal trainers, supportive spouses, financial independence, understanding colleagues. I was somebody ripe for burnout. I was a high achiever in everything I ever set out to do. I carved out a career for myself as a professional musician, and then I became the chairman of my orchestra's Musicians Association. I negotiated contracts, and I sat on the board of directors. I had a full class of music students with their own student orchestra that I conducted and wrote all the music for. When that got boring, I studied homeopathic medicine and developed a thriving practice. I got elected to the national board of my professional association. I ran conferences, booked international speakers and sponsors. There's not much I can't do. But one thing I just couldn't seem to do was save my marriage. And boy, did I burn out trying. I tried and tried in both of the ways that were available to me at the time, which were figure it out and suck it up. (laughs) The idea of getting help was not only totally foreign, but it would have meant in my world admitting failure. It would have been a defeat to look for help or accept it. And looking back on it, I can say, what the hell was I thinking? But at the time, that was my worldview. I wasn't someone who relied on other people for anything. So I kept my troubles to myself until I crashed and burned and found myself collapsed, literally, in the dirt of my garden, begging the universe to help me. And it did. The help came in the form of friends who didn't judge me for leaving my marriage as I had weirdly expected them to do, and in the form of a Buddhist nun who taught me to meditate. It came as the therapist who validated my experience, and the fully booked roster of private violin students, and the posse of neighbors who came over and helped me redecorate my house. So, flash forward ten or so years, 
and I was in a new, much more functional relationship, but burning out in a completely different way. I was burning out this time from trying to solve problems that didn't belong to me, but for which I felt responsible anyway. I had taken on what felt to me like a kind of karmic duty to work out some important life problems of my partner's children, despite the fact that they lived three hours away from us and I hardly ever saw them. I was convinced that my input was a magical, pivotal thing that could save them from this or that. It doesn't even really matter what it was, but I stressed constantly over how to make it happen. If you're a high-performing person, which, by the way, is practically a prerequisite for being a stepmom in the first place, you might be burning out from overgiving. That's what happens when you want so badly to just totally crush the stepmom role that you wear yourself out doing things that somebody else really ought to be doing. That somebody might be their mom and it might be your partner, but if either of them drops the ball, you're right there catching it before it even hits the ground. I'm talking homework, laundry, new clothes, ideal nutrition, medical appointments. Anybody here ever woken up one day and say, how did I end up with all this on my plate? You hardly have to be a high performer to become exhausted from years and years of court battles or dealing with a high conflict co-parent. Some people thrive on creating stress and chaos for others. And it's all too easy to get sucked right into it. But typically, it's the high performers who experience burnout because they live with the constant feeling that they are somehow the ones who should supply the answers, find the right lawyers or counselors, uncover the necessary legal loopholes, read the pertinent statutes, interact with teachers or CPS personnel. Burnout is much more than being fed up. It's a full body affair that hijacks your hormones and your nervous system and your capacity for rational thought. When I was burnt out, my entire body would shake uncontrollably anytime I talked about a stressful situation. I wasn't giving up. I was done. I just literally couldn't deal with it anymore. And this is the situation that thousands, if not millions, of high-performing women find themselves in from dealing with step-family stress in the only ways that they know how. The secret to reversing burnout, as you already know if you listened to last season's episodes with Christina Provenance, is support. You need to access high-quality support to shift out of stress mode and back into performance mode. One piece of support that many people don't access is the right kind of nutrient support for restoring your physical body to full function when you're in a near or a burnout situation. Your body is where you live, of course, but it's also profoundly affected by the experience of chronic stress. And when the walls of your house start to crack, you have to take care of that, or pretty soon, it just won't be a nice place to live anymore. So in the spirit of providing that kind of support, I invited my friend and favorite holistic nutritional consultant, Tanya Heinemann, to talk for a bit about the effects of stress on our physical body. This is actually a really important thing because stress-related illness is now recognized to be a leading cause of many kinds of chronic disease. Stress can tank your whole immune system, 
leaving you vulnerable to everything from colds and flus all the way to more serious autoimmune-type problems. I asked Tanya to talk specifically about the adrenal glands, which are kind of our frontline defense against different kinds of stress. I'm going to stop talking now and let you hear what she has to say. Tanya, thanks so much for doing this again. I know we, we spoke last week and we got all sidetracked, but this is what I really wanted you to talk about because you're my, you're my go-to person for nutritional advice. And I, I feel like you, you know, you know so much about this stuff. So um, I, I wanted you to talk about adrenal fatigue. And I bet a lot of people don't really know what that is, even though it's kind of a popular term now. So maybe you could help us out by just uh, defining it or describe it a little bit. It's funny you say that because you're my go-to person for health-related <laughs> stuff too. So <laughs> the Mutual Admiration Society appreciates your your review. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, our adrenal glands are two little um, triangular. I like to think of the Star Trek symbol. Like they look like the little Star Trek symbol, and they sit on top of your kidney, so the low back and their jobs, the adrenal glands, is to be the lighthouse. So a lighthouse, the light is always on. Sometimes people are manning the lighthouse, but the lighthouse is on guiding all the ships into the dock. And that's how the adrenal glands kind of are. They're always there. They're always paying attention. They're more aware than your brain is. So if you're in a stressful situation or you're in an exciting situation, the adrenal glands catch that before you cognitively realize what's happening. That's how um, they kind of work. So they're fascinating glands to me because um, in my own personal life, they've been used a lot, <laughs> probably way too many, <laughs> too often. But most people um, have that experience as well. It's part of our human condition that our adrenal glands are there looking out for us to keep us safe. Okay, so the, the, the adrenal glands are going to produce uh, chemicals, biochemicals that are going to um, help us physically to quickly do the thing that's going to keep us safe, which is either to uh, be strong and fast and, and fight or get away mm -hmm. or to, to hide. So what, like, in what circumstances do the adrenal glands get fatigued? When those adrenal glands get used for too long, too often, um, they become very imbalanced. They could um, perceive just a small threat as a very big problem or sometimes they're not acting in comparison to the stress so a stressful situation may come up and the response time is delayed because they're fatigued so adrenal fatigue simply means the glands have been used too often for too long and they're not responding at the right time with the right hormones they're just tapped out so would that be a situation that people get into when they're living in a kind of chronically stressful situation? I think when people are under stress, whether it's perceived or anticipated or actual for far too long, absolutely. It can be really hard to manage that um, well. And when those adrenal glands are triggering our body to stay in that stressful state, um, we can definitely get symptoms that last for a very, very long time. Like, like what? What happens um, from this kind of syndrome? You know, we know that estrogen is produced in the adrenal glands and also in the ovaries. So if the adrenal glands are really busy making 
um, lots of adrenaline and cortisol, sometimes they become imbalanced to regulate estrogen. Um, and and how would you, so how would you men, notice that if that yeah. was happening to you? I think your menstrual cycle would go off. You might get more PMS symptoms. Um, your cycle could change days. You could skip days or you could get spotting. If you're perimenopausal, you could experience um, symptoms as well. Some people feel like they get sore breasts. They're more likely to get a heavier cycle. Um, some people who are under a lot of stress for a long time, if they're menopausal, they may notice more hot flashes just because those hormones are now not being regulated with other hormone glands in the body too. So that's something women notice. And what about um, like fertility? How would this potentially affect uh, people who are trying to actively get pregnant? If there's a lot of adrenaline and cortisol, it's kind of the way the body's way of protecting the body um, with those high amounts of hormones so that nothing um, that's a perceived threat or an actual threat could um, happen to the body. So sometimes those elevated stress hormones can prevent fertility because all of those other hormones that are related to fertility from the ovaries and the adrenal glands, how progesterone is made to maintain a pregnancy could also be affected. If the body's doing one thing, sometimes it has a hard time doing something else. Right. Um, I would also think that the, the whole hormonal environment if you're, we were talking about this being such a primal part of our mm -hmm. structure that, uh, you know, from an animal survival point of view, um, being in a chronically stressed environment would have to do with having lots of predators around or uh, not enough mm -hmm. food supply. Um, mm -hmm. And your body would understand that that's not the, a good moment to be mm -hmm. uh, producing offspring. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about it in that logical side of things, it makes sense. But when you're in it, <laughs> yeah, it's a very different scenario. And when we're going through fertility things, there's a lot of like blame, like, oh my gosh, it's because I'm so stressed out. But the body is miraculous and we can um, still conceive and we can have um, offspring, even if stress is really high. And it might just vary person to person based on many factors, how, oh, for how sure. stressed. Yeah, and it affects men too. Men, men are also very much affected by um, adrenal fatigue and overproduction of hormones because men need the progesterone, they need the adrenaline, they need um, all of those, that cortisol to help regulate their testes, sperm production, sperm motility and mobility. And adrenaline and cortisol can have an effect on sperm production, how fast they swim, but also how well those hormones are speaking. So, you know, we don't, we're just starting to understand based on some new research, how stress affects men's fertility, but we know that there's an impact. How could it, how could there not be? <laughs> right? It's yeah. pretty 50, 50. <laughs> of course. So, so yeah, I think, you know, we know there's a lot of information for women, but we're just starting to, I think, understand it more for men as well too. So, um, how would somebody go about understanding if they're suffering from, if their adrenal glands are, are fatigued? What would you be looking for in the way of, I don't know, symptoms or signs? For, for me as a nutritionist, I use symptomatology. So we would use like an assessment, an oral assessment in person or over the phone or through Skype. We go through a big checklist of symptoms of how, how stress is, what lifestyle is, food intake, supplements, 
um, you know, health history, um, your birth experience, if you know it, how, if you were formula fed or breastfed, all of these little pieces of information are like uh, little puzzle pieces on the table. And so when we're putting it all together to understand what's happening in the now, each one of those puzzle pieces tells us a little bit of a story. And so when we're looking at adrenal glands in the natural holistic side of the world, um, blood work is often really helpful as a baseline. So getting somebody's cortisol tested, um, it's usually the same day. So usually an 8 a.m. blood test and then going back the same day between 2 and 4 p.m. tells us how are the adrenal glands functioning during those kind of stressful times of the day where you or your family might be getting ready for work and are the adrenal glands making enough hormones at those two times of the day in the right way. Um, I know a lot of um, medical doctors don't like to use that as a tool and I don't know if it's just based on training and how we, we look at baselines for adrenal support, but using blood work and symptomatology and really leaning into clients and their experiences and their symptoms um, really does help us form formulate that big picture too. And then once we have the, that information, we can make a plan of, are we supporting underactive adrenal glands or overactive adrenal glands? And then nourishing the heck out of those glands um, with food and supplements and maybe meditation as well to help just bring everything back to balance. Cool. So um, do you have any sort of top favorites that you like to use? Let's say if, if, someone, uh, if someone thought that maybe their adrenal glands were underactive. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, I think blood work helps us to identify what that is. So if they were underactive, we would sort of make sure the adrenal glands are being nourished well. Um, we know that the adrenal glands need lots of vitamin E, which can come from foods like raw nuts and seeds, especially raw almonds. We know that the adrenal glands really love vitamin C, mm -hmm. um, so raw fruits and some veggies as well. And we know that the adrenal glands love vitamin uh, B5. So a B complex is nourishing. When the adrenal glands are underactive, people can really feel like fatigued and low energy. Um, you know, something exciting might be happening at a dinner table conversation. And, you know, clients will say, you know, I really want to be as excited as my other family members talking about this super exciting thing, but I just don't have the gusto. You know, using things that really adapt to the adrenal glands and don't push them too, too high um, would be those, those food sources. There are supplements that we use as well. Um, there are adaptogens. There's things, um, oh my gosh, um, ashwagandha. I just, yes. the name escaped me. Ashwagandha is nice and balancing. It's an adaptogen. Adaptogens are great for the adrenal glands because the adrenal glands are that lighthouse. We don't want to use anything too stimulating. We want to use things that go in um, and they support if the adrenal glands are either under or overactive. Because I feel like the adrenal glands are one of those glands that can have the seesaw effect. You can be underactive, but you could swing too far overactive and vice versa. So ashwagandha is nice. Um, there is a supplement called... Um, Oh my gosh, adaptogen. And it's made by a company in the US. And the name, 
is restorative formulas and their line of adrenal products are beautiful. So if I'm, you know, working with a client and let's say they, they can't get to do blood work um, and they're feeling sometimes they're just, they don't have that gusto. They don't have that energy, but other times they're like getting really frustrated really fast. We would use the adaptogen uh, support to find that balance when we just don't know because it's neither pushy or suppressive. And so that with some food changes are helpful. But I think the biggest thing that I've learned personally and professionally about the adrenal glands um, and just the human body in, you know, in general would be things like learning meditation. Um, mm. One of the things that we know changes the body's DNA is doing one to three minutes a day of a guided meditation. And that's great. Just one to three minutes a day. Yeah. And I, you know, like we can make meditation seem really complicated. And like when people have asked me to do meditation for five to eight minutes, it's like, yeah, okay. That sounds nice in practice, but in actuality, it's probably, you know, it has happened and I've done it, but what I've done even more effectively more recently is in the last sort of 60 days and then I've done it again sort of over the last two years is children's one to three minute meditations they're quick they're easy they're effective it may take you a little longer to change your brain brain DNA but I'm not really in a rush yeah. <laughs> so like any sometimes less is more just simplifying the concept makes total sense to my brain that's so great. So, you know, there's some really good apps. I was just going to say that I did a, a podcast session a few weeks ago with um, a friend of mine by the name of Duda Baldwin, and she teaches uh, meditation. And she has a, a website mm -hmm. called Little School of Buddhism. But she loves to oh, teach cool. little, little, quick, easy meditations. And I love that because I think... Um, Oh, I think that it's so much better to do what you can do instead of being intimidated and not doing it at all. Uh, or just saying, I don't have time. Yeah, you true. always have time. You know, she, she says you, you want to do these little things at your desk while you're working or on the bus on the way home mm -hmm. or, you know, in the lineup at the grocery store. They're, you know, little meditations that are easy to do. And I think getting in the habit of doing that frequently is going to be just as effective as, um, you know, mm -hmm. sitting for long periods of time. That's great. Yeah. And I mean, if you have long periods of time and you can do meditation, it, it is helpful. Um, but if you're struggling with it and it's not working, then it's not working. So yeah, oversimplifying it and making it easy the other reason to do the kids meditation is if you have children in your life, it doesn't matter if they're babies or toddlers or tweens or teens um, or even older children just sort of leading by doing and making it really fun. So the kids meditations that um, we do in our house, they're usually once or twice a day. If I have a, if I have trouble sleeping in the middle of the night, there's usually one or two nights a month where I'll have like a really sort of restless sleep around the full moon, usually the two nights before. 
I wake up and I just do a quick two minute children's meditation. And because my brain is used to doing them, it's kind of like I get into that really relaxed state faster because um, my body's now used to what's going to happen. And, um, you know, even medical doctors, like they're reading, some of them are reading the research and it literally changes your DNA. And we're thinking about those primal hormones and that lighthouse. And if there's been a lot of stress or trauma, you know, life is not always beautiful and it's not always um, brutal, but it can be brutal as one of my coaches likes to say. And uh, I feel like meditation can be one of those tools that we can use really anywhere even during the workday, I'll pop one on. Even if I don't get to listen to the full two minutes, I've heard some of it and it's enough to just shift my attention elsewhere. Do you have a favorite place where you go to get children's meditations? So the name of the app is Breathe Kids, but when you open the app, it says Stop, Breathe, Kids. And so what it does is it walks you through this, like you're going to find a mission and then there's a bunch of emojis that pop up and it says, how do you feel right now? And the emojis range from angry, sad, normal, happy, joyful. And I don't know what this one is like hyper. It looks like it's like hyper. And then when you click hyper, it says hyper, super excited, wild and hysterical. So <laughs> you're feeling wild around the full moon, which in our house we were the other, the last full moon you would literally click that button and launch it. And then it gives you a bunch of different options. So the one that I like is called Bulldog and his friends. So it's kind of like a muscle that you're learning how to flex. It's an exercise for your brain. And it gives you a little bit more control over the adrenals. Nice. Um, Can I ask you um, what you think about, uh, there's another adaptogen um, herb that I think about together with ashwagandha, which is rhodiola. Mm-hmm. Are you fond of rhodiola or are you not so much? I don't use it in practice um, often because there's other things that I use, but I wouldn't be against it because lots of people that I work with are on it. Maybe if they're working with a naturopath as well or okay. another person, they could be u- utilizing it, but that's not a bad one. Um, it's just not my first choice. I think there's, I think ashwagandha is a good place to go to first, but it, it can be very, very helpful for people for sure. And how about licorice tea? Um, so licorice is good for people if they are kind of in that underactive, overactive state where they're swinging. Um, so some formulas will have licorice. Now it is contraindicated for high blood pressure, or anyone who has like SVT or mitral mitral valve prolapse, or sorry, mitral valve, yeah, mitral valve prolapse, any sort of heart condition, I wouldn't use licorice. There's other things. Now, I personally wouldn't, but I work with um, other practitioners who feel quite comfortable using licorice under their guidance, but they would have more experience than I do with it. I have used licorice for my own self and I do have a heart um, issue that's benign, but it it is there. It's SVT. So sometimes my heart rate can get going, but under guidance of a naturopath, I can safely use it um, and have no problems at all with it. But that means we're doing some blood work and I'm just really tuning into my body and checking that my symptoms are not going anywhere 
um, in the wrong direction. Right. And if somebody is really feeling, um, let's say, very burnt out, that mm -hmm. you, um, and I think that's uh, often the kind of situation where you do go from this, like swinging from low to high, like you get into a very um, anxious state really quickly mm -hmm. from not having any energy and not mm -hmm. being able to, you know, feeling low, depressed, maybe not motivated to feeling highly anxious in mm -hmm. a split second. Um, what does it look like coming out of that? Like, what's the timeline? I, I suppose you're going to say it's different for everybody because that's what I would say if someone asked me. <laughs> but, um, you know, how, how long does it take to get yourself back to a normal state? It really does vary from person to person. I feel like a lot of people who've been in stressful situations for a very long time um, and their adrenal glands are working a little too hard, oftentimes it can create a situation where there's a lot of inflammation in their body. So that could look like joint pain, that could look like skin reactions, that could look like tummy troubles. So if that's happening, I think it's fair to say that with support and treatment and not doing it on your own, but making sure you have oodles of support, that could look like three to four months to kind of calm that inflammatory um, state down, but I don't want to put any timelines on it because right. it really would vary from person to person. And um, it really would vary like what kind of stress is it? Some people go through high stress situations and they, they just, they're very resilient and they walk out of it and other people need to process that stress and um, feel it all out of their body. And other people are somewhere in between and there's lots of other places where people end up. But I think it's important to note that a lot of time the healing really depends on the awareness of the person. How, how is this stress affecting me physically, emotionally, and maybe even spiritually part of that, you know, emotionally isn't always spiritually vice versa. So, you know, just really being aware of your symptoms and how your body's responding to stress. Great. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say about adrenals, glands, or fatigue, stress, burnout? I think the most important thing that I would like people to just be aware of is that, you know, finding those safe spaces and those safe people to really share um, their story with. So when we've gone through trauma or stress or, um, you know, different situations, whatever that looks like for each one of us, um, finding a place to be extremely vulnerable and sharing our stories with. I think that that removes a layer of stress that uh, supplements can't, um, I think counseling can be a safe place, but really, you know, tuning into the people around you that you can be extremely vulnerable with people that you can trust and share those parts. Um, because we know that the psycho-spiritual connection would, the psycho-spiritual connection with the adrenal glands would be things like remorse and shame and anger, rage, all of those things. And any kind of stressful situation will bring up all of those um, feelings and many more. And part of the thing that the adrenal glands need is a release. And that usually has to be both physical and emotional as well. And when that happens um, and we're letting go of some of that, then we really need those um, 
you know, those, those hugs bring us oxytocin, which is a good feeling hormone, but we also really need the nourishment of some of those vitamins we talked about too. And that's where things like supplements can really help to balance that when you're kind of processing whatever the stress is to do. So finding safe spaces and being very vulnerable and letting that out. Um, so it's not manifesting inside the body as something other than what it is. Great. Well, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, tell people where they can find you online. Yeah, so they on Facebook, it's Yellowwood Nutrition and Wellness. Yellowwood is spelt Y-E-L-L-O-W-O-O-D. And on Instagram, it's Yellowwood73. And my website is www.yellowwood.ca. And I would love to be able to answer questions if anyone has any about the adrenal glands or share some more information too. And thanks for having me, Tracy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. We all really appreciate it. I really like what Tanya said about finding a safe space to be vulnerable and share your story. It would be ideal if you had a close friend who could understand the context of the kinds of stress you're experiencing so they could really support you. But anyone will do if they agree to just listen to you regularly without either judging or giving advice. The release that Tanya was speaking about comes from talking things out and you don't need to be interrupted with someone else's feelings about your situation. It's all about airing your own feelings and being really heard. Ask a friend to become a listening partner You can practice listening to them without judgment or advice also. If you're a member of my online community, look for someone in the group to reach out to for regular phone calls. I know a number of women who have formed real-life, if long-distance, friendships from within that group, and that's a fabulous kind of support to have. The thing that ultimately rescued me from my stepmom burnout experience was an epiphany. You know, a moment when you suddenly understand something that you didn't get before. I'm pretty sure I have meditation to thank for this one too, but I realized that I'm just not that important. Okay, maybe I'm pretty important, but I'm important to me and my own life and my own problems. I'm not actually karmically indebted to these children. They have two parents who have that responsibility. I'm always there to help them and I'm glad to devote lots of energy to them. But I don't have to feel like it's my job to save them from whatever I decide they need to be saved from. Like, sometimes things happen for a reason and I don't always get to know the reason, but it could be a life lesson or an experience that they really need. I certainly don't need to protect them from their dad's parenting decisions even if I don't agree with them. I mean, who do I think I am anyway? I see my clients and women in my stepmom group having this kind of epiphany every day. I can see it in their eyes and I read it in their excited posts about how something has just shifted and it feels like all that weight is gone from around their shoulders. They feel lighter and happier and surprise, their whole family feels more relaxed and more balanced too. I wish this kind of lightness for you. Stay in touch and keep me posted. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate or review us on iTunes so that other stepmoms can find us and enjoy it too. 
please join my Facebook community by sending a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. I'd love to hear from you with questions or comments or situations you'd like me to address on this podcast. You can leave a voice message right here or send me an, info, an email at info at essentialstepmom.com. That's info at essentialstepmom.com. And I'd especially love to connect with you if you're the stepmom listening from Kirk Caldy, Scotland, Sunbury, Australia, or Seville, Spain. Drop me a line and say hello. 